0: podcast starts now.
1: Hey, good people. This is Jay-Z bringing you your dose of the midweek muscle. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Or whenever you're deciding to listen into this podcast, number one, thank you for joining me today. And thank you for yet another full week of checking in. Hey good people, last week we spoke on the brain being unable to tell time and if we've been through something, like something troubling or even something big T word traumatic, um, the brain is kind of hardwired for us to react before we think for survival purposes, like to keep us safe, to keep us alive and I'm going to keep it all real good people. I won't even be talking that much today because there's so much fruit on the other side of this T word. um, And on the other side of any sort of painful experience that you can pull yourself to think of as you think about checking in. And Dr. Bruce Perry is the one that's going to give light to that. Not me. Um, The other part is like, no matter Something to keep in mind here, no matter if the threat of going through that painful experience is physical or emotional, the brain will still cause us to react. So either it be fighting, like physically, flighting or running away, uh, freezing, not doing anything at all, or fawning, trying to do whatever you can to make the other person happy. Um, the brain is still hardwired to react in one or many of those ways. Uh, and there's a couple of other F's in there that we're not going to get into, but you know, those are the major four. Um, so I also think in this week's episode, good people that we, uh, we'll take a little look at the highlight of how, uh, revisiting something painful can be a dark tunnel right? It could be a dark tunnel to travel, something that you're like, eh, I'd rather not go there. Not There's not enough tunnel for me today, right? And because there's so much to gather there, however, there's a lot to learn from and to grow around if you're willing to travel through that tunnel. And I'm not saying you have to do it today. We're just here to give perspective today. I just, we can't share that that We can't share that this is a light and easygoing experience. We have to be real about it. But part of checking in is being willing to like go there. Right. Um, and, and that is just the territory. If you decide it, that's something that you want to do. Um, so again, it, Traveling down this road is something that has to be done relationally, meaning with others. Uh, so that way you're not traveling it by yourself. Uh, and so again, why talk about the check-in and why talk about trauma? And why is this even a part of your series? I thought you were supposed to be talking about business. I thought you were supposed to be talking about wellness. I thought you were supposed to be talking about all these things, Jay-Z. And like, listen, I'm just trying to like keep up and run my household and run my business or run my life. And that's just it, good people. That is exactly why we're talking about checking in is because number one, you can't do any of those other things, household, business, lifestyle without others. And if you do happen to run your life, business and household without others, What happens is you create isolation and in some aspects, relational starvation, and that's unhealthy. And so again, why do we do the check-in is because we need people. I think you're going to discover that as Dr. Bruce Perry talks today. Uh, But if you're joining us for the first time, Thank you for number one, for being here. This podcast was created to give peaceful and positive perspective to help you tackle the barriers that can have a tendency to hold you back and or hold you up from claiming what is yours. And that's the victory. Um, We're here to give you that power listen to help you boost you through your week. And hopefully that can propel you into many amazing other things that hopefully you'll tap back and write about or write to write to me about or share or what have you, because I love hearing those stories. And so again, I hope you find this episode helpful. And if not, thank you for listening. Share it, share it out. Even if you haven't given this episode a listen yet, still share with a friend, listen together, have a talking session with it. Call me, send me an email, jay at the com. You know, you never know. Anyways, so let's jump into this week, shall we? Oh, but no, no, no. But not before we do a little for the culture trivia. That's right. For the culture trivia. Get your brains activated and ready to go. The money that the government takes from you when you get paid is called what? What Japanese dish has raw fish? Is it sushi, sukiyaki, or teriyaki? Red and blue mix makes what color? An orthodontist fills what? Cavities or straightens teeth? If you're using a boogie board, are you tearing up the dance floor or hitting some mean waves? And there you have it, good people. How'd you do? This one was pretty cool. It was pretty easy. Let's go through the answer, shall we? The money that the government takes from you when you get paid is called "put taxes. I'm sure you know that because uh, if you live in the United States, Uncle Sam gets his cut before you do. So hopefully when that cashier is giving you your change back, you count it because you need all your change. I know I do. They get so annoyed with me. They're like, ma'am, you really want this three cents? Sure do. It adds up. hmm If the IRS wanted it, they'd take it. Anyway, I'm cutting up already. What Japanese dish has raw fish? Is it sushi, sukiyaki, or teriyaki? If you answered sushi, you'd be correct. Sukiyaki is a sauce and teriyaki is too. Um, red and blue mixed makes what color if you answered purple you will have passed your elementary school grades congratulations an orthodontist fills what cavities or straightens teeth I recognize the error in my question asking so if you said uh, an orthodontist doesn't fill straightened teeth that I, I'll i give you that. An orthodontist straightens teeth, not fills straightened teeth. Yeah, that would be like a little misleading. I see what you did there. Okay. Okay. You're on my back. It's early. All right. And if you are riding a boogie board, are you tearing up the dance floor or hitting some mean waves? If you're hitting some mean waves with your answer, you'd be correct. I hope you did well on that one. So you're probably thinking like, well, Jay-Z, you told us like to ask about your student from Mexico. How's that going? Oh, yep. Glad you asked. He is my whole heart. Like I've only known him a short time and he has my whole heart. Y'all, before my voice has even made it to you this morning, we've tackled a hockey game, a major league soccer game, a tour of a baseball stadium, an amusement park, the aquarium, and I'm not even talking about the baseball game we hit up last night in between all of our other activities for the week. It has been a busy-ass couple of weeks, and I'm still grateful that I have the bandwidth and capacity to be his pseudo mom for the couple of weeks. And literally, I have garnered super strength to wash, cook, clean, work out, hard 75, my J-babe himself, and activities all on demand. Is it sustainable? Heck no. Um, But relational building and learning? Absolutely. And I wouldn't trade it. Um he being him being here has helped me to take a seat and a a for real chill pill and to actually enjoy what I'm working for. I mean, yes, I'm working to pay off debt and to save and have a little bit in the chamber. Um, but I'm also really working to enjoy life too. And that simple enjoy life thing can get missed in the day to day of just, Doing life in general. And, and he has brought that to me in his presence here. And I really love that he's here and will be very sad to see him go in a couple of days. So, you know, I'm just taking it all in as I go. So thanks for asking. As for Hard 75, I am in the last nine days. Uh, I think it's the last nine days. I have to do a count again because y'all, I'll be forgetting. Uh, but I think I'm in the last nine days. And since the start of it, I've read two books and I'm now on the third. I'm weighing in nine pounds lighter. And you know, that's like straight up fat, like straight up burned nine pounds of fat, which I didn't even think I had it to burn, but I did. It's in there. It was in there. Um, I, I'm coming in four inches less than before. I'm developing, developing six out of the eight packs that I have. And I'm hungry. Uh, (laughs) sorry y'all. Um, I'm just kidding on the hungry part. I'm not really that hungry, but I would like a glass of wine and maybe even a super cheeseburger or something like that. And you know, I'm asking for that or saying that I want it. I probably wouldn't even eat it all. Um, so what lightweight be a waste, but you know, I feel pretty good. And honestly, I can't say that I want to turn back into some of the older habits that I've sort of left behind a couple of months ago um although i would cut the demand for that second 45 minute workout whenever there's just too much going on because i literally have been like pushing myself to finish that second workout when it's been like way too much going on um and i think that's realistic however I can find moments where I can build some time in when I feel like there is no time. So I have learned a lot. Um, but okay. Okay. Let's jump into today. Uh, why, why is there hope Jay Z? Like, why does hope live here? Why is this episode, this name and why are we doing it? Well, you know, Jay Z, you've been talking about trauma and checking in. So why talk about hope now? And again, Well, number one, because there's good reason to believe that hope lives here. And number two, without hope, it can be difficult for a person to connect to their future self, which can bring them to the possibility of healing and change for positive outcomes that they want to see in their own lives. So listen, I could go on and on about why. I think it's helpful to believe that hope is here, but enough listening to me. Like, let's listen to what Dr. Bruce Perry says. Here, take a listen.
0: Let's go back to the start of our conversation, back to the core regulatory networks. The core regulatory networks comprise a set of very important neural networks that collectively reach every part of your body and brain. We know that when these systems are well-organized, flexible, and strong – we have the capacity to cope with all manner of stressors. We also know that controllable, predictable, and moderate challenges can make the core regulatory networks even stronger. Our stress response capabilities expand when they get practice. So if a child has had the opportunity to have predictable, moderate challenges as they grow up, they will be more capable of demonstrating resilience in the face of a challenge. At the very start of this process is when the newborn is hungry, thirsty, or cold, and the attentive, attuned caregiver meets their needs. Later, they'll crawl away from the safety of their parent and start exploring the world. Because this is novel, it will activate their stress response, but only moderately. When it becomes too much, they'll crawl back to the safe base. This process, leaving the safe, exploring the new, returning to the safe, will continue thousands of times for the toddler and young child. And through these little challenges, they build the capacity to demonstrate resilience in the face of unexpected stress. All development involves being exposed to novelty, which in turn activates our stress response. With a safe and stable relational foundation, thousands of moderate doses of stress help create flexible stress response capabilities. Every school year, meeting new classmates and a new teacher and studying new content provides moderate, predictable stressors. Participating in sports, music, drama, and other activities creates more opportunities for the controllable, predictable stress that helps build resilience. And through all of this, relationships are absolutely key. For the infant, the relationship with primary caregivers is the foundation of their capacity for all future relationships. It is in the context of nurturing and caring relationships that the child can meet a challenge. In the face of any new challenge, an adult can model, encourage, and provide a helping hand. And the relational reward The smile, word of encouragement, congratulations for progress during and after the challenge motivates the child, which leads to repetition and mastery. A child without these relational supports will not have as many developmental successes. It's really important to note that the support of parent, teacher, or coach also helps provide the proper dosing of challenge for the child, Challenges should fit the child's developmental stage, because impossible challenges set up children to fail. A child who has not yet learned to multiply cannot be expected to learn algebra. A child who has just learned to write words cannot be expected to write full paragraphs. It's a Goldilocks situation. Just as the challenge shouldn't be too big, it also shouldn't be too small, It has to be novel enough to cause the child to leave the comfort zone of their known experiences and already mastered skills. If the challenge is going to build resilience, it has to be moderate, just right. Finding the just right is a major issue with children who have had trauma. Remember, they frequently live in a persistent state of fear, and fear shuts down parts of the cortex. The thinking part of the brain. In a classroom, what may seem to be a moderate, developmentally appropriate challenge for many children may be an overwhelming demand on a child with a sensitized stress response.
1: So he says, we have the capacity to cope with all manners of stressors, and that we know that controllable, predictable, and moderate challenges can make our system stronger, especially with practice, but they have to be moderate challenges. Any challenge that's too much overwhelms the system and any challenge that doesn't have that natural support from ding, 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 you got it. Relationships, positive relationships can make it a, a, uh, developmentally challenging to overcome. Now I know that good people, he's talking about that from the child like aspect. And again, is not to just zero in on children. It is to take a look at ourselves in that childlike state. And so what does that mean for even us now as adults, if we happen to be working with, young people. And even if we're not working with young people, what does that look like? Insofar as we think about our behaviors for ourselves, relationships, good people, if you haven't heard it, are mission critical and not romantic, just relationships in general. He goes on to say this, take a listen.
0: We've talked a lot about patterns of stress activation that create sensitization which is essentially the opposite of resilience. But when we activate trauma memories and our stress response systems in ways that offer controllability and predictability, we can begin to heal a sensitized system. Healing takes place when there are dozens of therapeutic moments available each day for the person to control revisiting and reworking their traumatic experience. When you have friends, family, and other healthy people in your life, you have a natural healing environment. We heal best in community. Creating a network, a village, whatever you want to call it, gives you opportunities to revisit trauma in moderate, controllable doses. That pattern of stress activation will ultimately lead to a more regulated stress reactivity curve. So the traumatized person with a sensitized stress response can become neurotypical, less sensitized, less vulnerable. In fact, they can ultimately develop the capacity to demonstrate resilience. The journey from traumatized to typical to resilient helps create a unique strength and perspective. That journey can create post-traumatic wisdom. For thousands and thousands of years, humans lived in small intergenerational groups. There were no mental health clinics, but there was plenty of trauma. I assume that many of our ancestors experienced post-traumatic problems. Anxiety, depression, sleep disruptions. But I also assume that they experienced healing. Our species could not have survived if a majority of our traumatized ancestors lost their capacity to function well. The pillars of traditional healing were, number one, connection to clan and the natural world. Number two, regulating rhythm through dance, drumming, and song. Number three, a set of beliefs, values, and stories that brought meaning to even senseless random trauma. And four, on occasion, natural hallucinogens or other plant-derived substances used to facilitate healing with the guidance of a healer or elder. It is not surprising that today's best practices in trauma treatment are basically versions of these four things. Unfortunately, few modern approaches use all four of the options well. The medical model overfocuses on psychopharmacology, option four, and cognitive behavioral approaches, option three. It greatly undervalues the power of connectedness option one, and rhythm, option two.
1: He says that they can demonstrate resilience. The journey from traumatized to typical to resilient helps to create a unique strength and perspective that can create post-traumatic wisdom. Did you hear that? It creates a unique strength a unique strength to the person that went through that thing and a, a, and a unique perspective that a person who has been through that thing or something similar can generate and not everyone has it. So it's unique to the person, our species, he went on to say cannot survive without relationships and pillars of healing because trauma has been happening to people before us, beside us and, and, throughout our culture for ages. And so we're not unique to this experience, but one thing that is unique to our ways of doing things, especially if you're here in America, is this go, 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 and this rapid isolation of sorts. So that unique strength that he talked about, to me, good people, this is what makes us hero. Like you don't have to put on a cape, Although you can, like, don't get me wrong if that's what you got to do. But the mere fact of standing through what you've been through and having the wisdom not to repeat it because you've garnered that wisdom and that perspective and being an inspiration to others who know you, your character and fragments of what's there or what could have been there, your growth everything encompassing your personality and your love, that's super strength, good people. And there's hope there. And that's all you because you lived it. No one else's. And that's hero to me. And so you may be thinking like, thank you, Jay-Z, but all this this trauma talk is rooted in children and it doesn't matter because I'm a full-on adult right now. So what's the point? Well, again, I'm getting there. Check this out.
2: It's the recognition that what I've been through has caused me to have these kinds of feelings, and I'm not the only one. And it makes sense that if you're an overworked mother of three or four with a history of trauma, you'll have trouble coping while trying to carry your burdens all by yourself. Your health is being compromised in ways you don't even recognize. And then to realize that the reason you feel so overwhelmed is that you haven't found a good way to regulate yourself. This is why giving back to yourself is so important. If you aren't regulated yourself,
0: how can you parent or work effectively? And that is such an important point. We're often asked to help children and youth who've been maltreated or traumatized or consult for a community following a traumatic event. And when I tell people that I'll actually need to work with the adults too, they're confused. But if the adults who live with, teach, and treat these children are not regulated, they will not be able to be fully present in a compassionate, regulated way. It is those fully present moments that are regulating, rewarding, and healing for the children. If we help the children, but don't meet the needs of the adults, our work will have little impact. This is one of the most important principles of any trauma-informed approach. You have to help the frontline adults who will be working with the children and youth. This shift in focus is challenging for some of our systems. In the child mental health system, for example, the patient is the child. The system's economic model typically doesn't include paying a clinician if they want to give time to the child's teacher, coach, or even parents. This is short-sighted. We know that a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. An exhausted, frustrated, dysregulated adult can't regulate anybody. As you point out, if you don't give back to yourself, you simply will not be effective as a teacher, a leader, a supervisor, a parent, a coach, anything. Self-care is huge. Unfortunately, many people feel some guilt about taking care of themselves, They view self-care as selfish. It's not selfish. It is essential. Remember, the major tool you have in helping others change, whether you are a parent, teacher, coach, therapist, or friend, is you. Relationships are the currency of change. We have to take care of ourselves. This is especially important
2: considering that so many of us are walking around with trauma or adversity in our own past. I wouldn't be who I am without my trauma, so... I own it, I claim it, and by doing that, I believe I found the way to use it in service to others. Empathy, compassion, and forgiveness, these are all part of the practice that moves me forward in every decision or
0: encounter I experience. And that brings us back to post-traumatic wisdom. When you've lived through adversity, you can come to a point in your life where you can look back, reflect, learn, and grow from the experience. I believe it's hard to understand humankind unless you know a little bit about adversity. Adversity, challenges, disappointment, loss, trauma, all can contribute to the capacity to be broadly empathic, to become wise. Trauma and adversity, in a way, are gifts. What we do with these gifts will differ from person to person. It's so interesting to hear
2: you say that. When I was growing up, I wanted to live like leave it to beaver. That was my idea of what a family should be, milk and cookies at home, mom and dad together, the whole thing. But I would not have become the evolved human being that I'm still in the process of becoming if I had everything at my disposal or had everything I wanted at exactly the moment I thought I wanted it.
0: I feel the same way. It is true, though, that the cost of wisdom can be very high, and for many people, the pain never goes away. The wise learn how to carry their burden with grace, often to protect others from the emotional intensity of their pain.
1: Good people, the recognition that this idea of what I've been through, it in and Oprah says it best by asking that question or saying that to yourself, uh, she said it's caused her to have these feelings, uh, uh, you know, recognizing what she's been through has, co- and, and the reason why she reacts to certain things or has feelings about certain things, uh, is, is a direct response of that question. what, she's been through and she's not the only one and amen to that, Oprah, for real. Uh, But also how can you parent or work effectively when we think about us in our adult selves, And whether you work with young people or you're a parent yourself or you're not, or you have young people working in your office, or you just work with other people in general. If you don't give back to yourself, as a working professional, in any regard, then you cannot regulate anybody. Let's say that's not even your goal to regulate somebody. Then you have to see it from this angle. A dysregulated adult cannot be more effective at anything that that person is attempting to do. A dysregulated adult cannot be more effective at dysregulating another person. It can't be effective towards another dysregulated person, right? However, there are aspects of this that can help us grow around our grief. Trauma is grief and can be a grief. And even though I don't get the leave it to beaver reference, I get the point. Yeah, that wasn't me either. And I totally get what she's saying but i too am in the process of becoming and i hope i can leave you with this this week as we uh, round our time to a close we are and should always be in the process of becoming and i like to think that uh there will be a time where i'm grown and there's no more growing left to do but i also realize with my age and disposition that the moment i commit to being grown and there's no more growing left to do well I'd be dead because this life is ongoing and the journey in this life is evolve or repeat. So whatever is not evolving is repeating. That means there's no growth and where there's no growth, there's death and death does not necessarily mean dying or dead. It can just mean complacency or hopelessness, or it can mean just not even trying in general. And for somebody like me, That's a very scary place. And I hope that doesn't become the place that you aim to get to. So with with that in mind, this week, good people, I encourage you to be hopeful. Checking in with yourself, as they mentioned, is not a bad thing. It's self-care. And again, self-care is not selfish. It's essential. I love when they said that. I love when he said a dysregulated person cannot attempt to be effective in any other area in life, even if there's some effectiveness is short lived. And, And so there's so many aspects of healing that is available to us good people and not necessarily through pharmacology. Like he mentioned, there are other elements like relationship to clan or tribe and dance and rhythm. And those methods are a little less Eurocentric, but still available to us in many different ways, shapes, and forms. And I think those are important to note as we consider what traveling through that dark tunnel of checking in can look like as we move to release. Either way, good people, post-traumatic wisdom is available to us and helps us To see not only that there is healing ahead of hope, but it also helps us to see that we made it here despite what we've been through. And that is enough. This is certainly more than enough for me, good people. And I am truly grateful for that. Hey, I hope this was... Insightful. I hope it was enlightening. I hope it wasn't too confusing for you this week, good people. But I also hope it was encouraging for you to also be like, I want to know more about this book. It is called What Happened to You by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. I recommend it. I recommend it. I strongly recommend it. Uh, You know, they give you all of the disclaimers before getting into it. So please make sure you listen to those before getting into it. But I highly, highly, highly recommend. And I just wanted to leave that fruit here for you. Hey, if this was for you, good people, check us out. We will not be in uh, the check-in and talking any more about trauma going into next week and the next series. Hey, we may be talking about a little bit more of this new ground that you're um, attempting to explore, if that's in your heart at all. And so again. Thank you, good people, for shedding light and love. Thank you for being here. I hope this was helpful for you this week. And as always, I hope you make it a great week. Share it with somebody you know. Share it with someone who you think could be helpful. And as always, I'll meet you back here next week. Have a great power week. Have a great week checking in. And as always, let's go.